line, there's a widow whose son is, is dead, and Elijah the prophet comes and stretches out, stretches out his body on this child and, and answers this prophet's prayer. And so then this child comes back to life. And through this miraculous sign, the woman now believes. You know, many of us need signs in order for us to to believe all that we hear. Seeing is believing for many of us. In fact, if you live in Missouri, what's what's the theme of that state? It's the show me state. Show me if you want me to believe what you're saying. Well, John, who wrote the fourth gospel that we have today, John, the youngest of the 12 disciples, knew that people needed to see the signs of Jesus in order for them to believe. And so John writes his gospel with that very purpose in mind. In fact, we read in John 20, verse 30 to 31, the reason that he wrote his gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you were with us last Sunday, you know we've begun a journey through the Gospel of John, specifically looking at the seven signs of Jesus that occur before Jesus enters into Jerusalem for his crucifixion in John 12. Yes, Jesus is doing many signs, and John knows that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written. They had already told about many of the miracles that Jesus had done. So so John tries to tell the rest of the story. In fact, six of these seven miracles or signs do not appear in the other Gospels. But John wants to make sure that these signs are told to us so that we might believe. Remember last week we talked about the first sign that Jesus does in Cana of Galilee when he takes water and he he miraculously turns it into wine. And so that we might fully understand the value of this sign, what this sign symbolizes for us, we talked about how there were these Jewish water uh, pots, Jewish stone jars used for cleansing that he takes the water from that and turns it into wine and And how these six Jewish stone jars were going to be insufficient to truly cleanse the people of Israel. What they needed was the the wine from the kingdom of God, as we talked about last week. For the wine of the kingdom of God, as we know from this table, is, is ultimately the blood of Christ. For the wine at the Lord's table points to the the blood that was shed for us on a cross so that our sins might be atoned for. It's every sign that John speaks of. It helps point to the divinity of Jesus, but it also tells us more of who God is and who God's calling us to be so that we might receive that message and understand together. I would invite you to turn to John chapter 4, beginning with verse 46, that we might look at the second sign that Jesus does in John But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the God who has made yourself known to us through your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. But Lord, as we read your written word today, we pray that you might continue to reveal yourself to us. Help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. And may our hearts be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of, the, of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 46. Listen to the word of the Lord. So he, Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. 
And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. The Greek word for official here is basilikos which can be translated as official, or more specifically, royal official. In fact, the New American Standard Version of the Bible, uh, which is the most literal translation of the Bible, word for word, it's not always the most readable, but word for word, it's the most literal English translation we have, translates John 4, verse 46 this way. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. It's interesting, uh, Eugene Peterson, who wrote a contemporary uh, translation of the Bible called The Message. He's Presbyterian. Have I mentioned that before? Presbyterian guy. Anyway, a very good scholar. He, he translates John four forty six this way. Now, he was back in Cana of Galilee, the place where he made the water into wine. Meanwhile, in Capernaum, there was a certain official from the king's court whose son was sick. It doesn't really matter that the father of this sick boy is a royal official or that he's from the king's court. Well, who was the king in the first century when, when, uh, of, of Galilee when Jesus was alive? It was Herod of Antipas. And leading scholars tell us that because Herod was the king, most likely any royal official would have been Jewish. This was a Jewish royal official whose son was ill. And so this royal Jewish official comes to Jesus, and, and he has the expectation that, well, that Jesus is going to need to touch his son in order for him to be healed. I mean, all of the great prophets, like Elijah, we just read about, when there's a, a boy who needs to be healed, Elijah stretches out over this dead boy. We see something very similar in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, when Elisha, the prophet who followed Elijah, has to do the same thing. He, he lays his body over a, a, a dead boy and breathes into the boy's mouth and he comes back to life. His physical touch was an expectation for physical healing. All of the great prophets of Israel had to touch the person in order for them to be healed, particularly when they were close to death. So this Jewish royal official has, has that same expectation. That's why in verse 47 of our text we read, When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So that we don't miss this, Cana, where Jesus is, is 20 miles from Capernaum. The royal official is at Capernaum. He's traveled 20 miles to 
to seek the healing touch of Jesus. And he's asking Jesus, would you please travel with me 20 miles so that my son might be healed? You'll need to touch him. That's the expectation. It's as if someone came to us and said, would you please walk with me from this church all the way to downtown Canyon? It's kind of a long walk, kind of a big ask. But when our children are sick, our grandchildren are sick, we'll do anything. We'll travel any miles. No matter how far it is, no matter what it costs, we'll do whatever we can to make sure our children or our grandchildren receive the best medical care possible. Reminds me of how just a couple of years ago, our our very own Will and Anna Essler, while he was still here here at our church, you know, they traveled to Cook's Children's Hospital in Fort Worth so that their little daughter, Ayla, could receive cochlear implants so that she might be able to hear for the first time. That was so good. You know, if you knew the Esslers at that time, you were like me, you were praying for this cochlear implant to work. You were praying for this miracle of modern medicine to work. And, and by God's grace, you know, it did. And, and so little Ayla got to hear for the first time. And, and soon, one of the first things she heard was her mother crying with joy, overwhelmed, that her daughter could hear. We will do whatever it takes to make sure that our children are healed. We'll travel whatever miles it may take, whatever it may cost. We will do whatever it takes make sure that our children are healed. But notice Jesus' response to this desperate father's request that we find in verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus knows that people's faith are weak. We don't have strong faith. We need physical signs in order for us to believe in his divinity. And of course, later in the Gospel of John, Jesus will tell Thomas, one of his own 12 disciples, doubting Thomas after he's risen from the dead, and all the other disciples saw him, but Thomas didn't see him. He says, unless I I touch the, the wounds in his hands and the hole in his side, I won't believe. And so the risen Jesus appears to Thomas and says, here, touch my hands, touch my side. And then Jesus says, you believe because you see, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What evidence do we need to to believe in the divinity of Jesus, to believe that he is the son of God, the great I am, the savior of the world? What evidence, what sign do we require for us to believe today? You know, it's interesting that the royal official doesn't argue with Jesus, does he, when he says, you people need a sign in order to believe. Now, the royal official's like, I need a sign. And I want that sign to be that you could heal my son, please. In fact, we read... The father continues to persist. It says, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. This father's son is not simply wrestling with the common cold. He doesn't just have a sinus infection. He's not wrestling with the flu. No, he's got a a death, a deathly illness, and his son is about to die. And so in desperation, he continues to, to press on Jesus. He continues to ask Jesus, please heal my child. I wonder how often we wait until we're desperate to come to Jesus. How often a a problem arises and we think, oh, I can fix that or I'll take care of that or or I'll just rely on some friends or my own personal resources to manage that rather than going to God first. As I read scripture, I'm pretty sure that God wants us to, to come to him with our problems. In fact, Jesus invites us to do that in the gospel of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants us to come to him whenever we're burdened, 
Whenever we feel the weight of the world or the weight of the responsibilities that we have in this life, he says, come to me. I'll give you rest. And yet we're often reticent, reluctant to come to Jesus. We only use Jesus as as that spare tire that we pull out every now and then, rather than coming to him every day seeking his guidance. It's interesting in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is trying to teach the Lord's Prayer that we pray every Sunday in this sanctuary. Before he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, he says, and when you pray, Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, if you decide to pray, it says, and when you pray. The expectation is that as his followers, we will in fact pray. We will have a running conversation with God every day. For the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, that we should pray without ceasing. Throughout the day, we should call upon the name of the Lord. We should ask God to guide us, to lead us, to give us strength. It doesn't have to be in old King James English when we pray. No, it can be just simple, straight words. Martin Luther, when commenting on the Lord's Prayer in the section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus explains how we ought to pray and it shouldn't be long and verbose, just brief, he says, our prayer should be brief, frequent, and intense. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Those are the kind of prayers that God wants us to pray. In fact, it's interesting, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 11, Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Why don't we spend more time asking God, praying to God, seeking His help, seeking His deliverance, seeking His strength? Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. So why don't we spend more time asking God? to heal those who are sick, to help us when we're weak, to give us strength in the midst of hard times. Now I know, and I know. I know sometimes we pray and we don't get what we ask for, even if we know it's it's good. What we're asking for would be good, that, it, that if God were to give us this thing, then we know that God would, would certainly be glorified. If God would heal this person, then God would certainly be glorified. And wouldn't it be a good thing for, for God to heal this person? If you were to ask God for healing and not necessarily gotten what you asked for, anybody else? I've been there many times. In fact, most recently, as you know, many of you know, for six months my father lived with us. While he was battling prostate cancer, we were taking him to chemo treatment so that the chemo might helpfully rid his body of the cancer. But unfortunately, in the midst of the treatment, he broke his hip and they had to stop the treatment. And, and when they stopped the treatment, you know, the cancer spread and it spread all over his body. But we kept praying. We prayed every night at dinner time. We, we laid hands on my father and prayed. We anointed him with oil. We had this church and, and First Presbyterian Church in Midland and, and everybody we knew praying for my dad, praying for healing. Former students were praying that God would heal my dad. But he didn't win the battle against cancer. My, old, my son, my eight-year-old son, asked me, Dad, why didn't God heal Papa? We prayed for him every day, Dad. 
Why didn't God heal Papa? That's a hard question to answer. How do you answer that? We did what we were supposed to do. We prayed, we laid hands, we anointed with oil, as James instructs us to do. We, we had other people's praying, and yet he didn't heal Papa. Or did he? My oldest daughter, Hannah, after hearing that comment, spoke up and said, You know, Dad, I knew Papa was going to die on a Friday. I knew he was going to die on a Friday because my oldest daughter knew that on Friday, Jesus died. On Friday, Mary was weeping. On Friday, the disciples were fleeing. On Friday, the soldiers were mocking. On Friday, Jesus said, it is finished as he breathed his last, according to the gospel on John. Yes, on Friday, it looked as if evil was winning, but it was only Friday. Sunday was coming. It's my good news of Easter Sunday. That first Easter Sunday is that Jesus rose again. That Jesus proved to be who he said he was, the great I am, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And the, the good news of Easter Sunday is that because Jesus lives, we know that we too shall live. That death does not have the final say for those who call upon the name of the Lord. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, after healing Lazarus, one of the seven signs of Jesus Jesus says in John 11, verse 25 to 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. Well, the good news for me and my family is that my father did believe that. The good news is that my father is now with Jesus in paradise where there's no more pain, no more struggle, no more cancer, only praise. It's the fact is that before my father contracted prostate cancer, his body was wearing out. He had a bad knee, a bad hip, and a bad back. But now he doesn't have a bad knee, a bad back, or a bad hip. He's got a new body. He has been healed by our Lord and Savior. Yes, God answered our prayers in ways beyond what we could ever imagine. For our God is good, and he gives good things to those who ask. Notice in our text this morning... That after the father makes his second appeal to Jesus, Jesus says in verse 50 of our text, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This desperate father who, who really didn't know Jesus before he shows up and asks him to do the remarkable, to travel from, you know, uh, travel with me from Cana to Capernaum pleads once again, and Jesus says, go, your son will live. And remarkably, this, this father, this desperate royal official, believes the words of Jesus. Sight unseen, he goes home 20 miles to see, and he discovers that his son has been healed. Yes, Jesus spoke with such authority while he was on this earth that people would hear what he said, and they knew that he had the power to deliver on what he was saying he was going to do. We see this actually in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 to 29. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew makes this comment. He says, uh, 28 to 29, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. 
Jesus, the word made flesh, could speak the word of God with such a power, such authority that people knew that he was who he said he was, that he could do what he said he was going to do. Yes, Jesus is the great miracle worker. Unlike the prophets of the Old Testament, he doesn't have to touch the boy in order for him to be healed. He simply has to say the word. He's got that kind of power. Why don't we call on that power more often? Why don't we ask Jesus to heal those who are sick more often? We know from the scriptures that Jesus has the the power to heal, and he's inviting us to to ask him. On Monday night, I had dinner with um, two members from the board of, uh, or from Denver Seminary, their staff members, Uh, and just kind of a good news for you, in November, our session voted to offer, uh, to to extend an invitation to Denver Seminary that we might serve as the West Texas Extension site for that uh, seminary. And that's good news for you because uh, if Denver agrees, and and they're supposed to be voting on that soon, if they agree, then we'll get discounted tuition. So if you ever want to take a Denver Seminary class, you get a a discounted tuition. So membership has its privileges, even at First Press, right? Not just American Express. So that's good. But I was talking to them, and one of them's name was Tim Tim Kohler. Tim's a great guy, but when I was emailing Tim in December, uh, planning for this appointment in January, he was talking to me and asking for prayer requests because he was deathly ill. He'd been in the hospital for several days. He was sweating all over. He was running these high fevers. They had run all these tests. In fact, they ran so many tests on Tim and poked him so many times in his left arm that it was blue and and black from all the, the poking and prodding. And yet, as they did all these tests, the doctors in Denver could not figure out what was wrong with Tim. And so they didn't know what to prescribe. They really didn't know what to do for him. So Tim said, man, just start praying. And he had the seminary praying for him and the board of the seminary praying and for his church praying for him and we were praying for him. And, 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 and before you knew it, Tim was healed. The doctors still don't know what's wrong with Tim, but we know how he was healed. We called upon the name of Jesus and Jesus healed him. Jesus can still do miraculous healing if we will call upon his name, if we will do our part and seek his healing You know, it's interesting in the gospel of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 to 20, he says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am among them. This morning, we have a real unique opportunity to gather together as two or three to to pray for those who are sick and hurting today, knowing that if we will agree that that he will answer our prayers in ways that are even beyond what we could imagine. For our God is a a good God, and he gives good things to those who ask. And so in a moment, uh, Dan's going to invite people, uh, our prayer team, to come forward, and we're going to invite anyone who who might know someone who's sick. Anybody here know somebody's sick? I always know somebody who's sick. I mean, there's always someone who's sick that we're going to invite them to come forward, and you can come forward and, and just say that person's first name, and then we will, uh, and what they, their disease is or how they need to be healed, and then you can just simply pray for them, knowing that our God invites us to come to him with all the burdens that we have, with the concerns that we have, and he's a God who will hear us. He's a God who will answer us according to his will. His will is good. It's the best thing for us. Because I think we often miss the miraculous power of Jesus. We, we miss how God is at work because we don't spend enough time praying so that we might see what God is doing, so that we might participate in his miraculous healing. What signs do we need to believe in the power of Jesus today? Well, the greatest sign that the world has ever seen is the empty tomb. 
Then on the third day, Jesus rose again, and because he lives, we know that we all too shall live, that we have life in his name, and not just eternal life, but new life now, if we will live into that life, if we will become the kind of disciples who, who walk with Jesus, who talk to him every day, who ask him to help us in our time of need, so that we might be a light of his power, a light of his love in all that we say and do. So why don't we ask? Why don't we take time this morning to ask? Let's pray. God, we thank you. You're the God who hears us and invites us to come to you whenever we are burdened and heavy laden. Lord, I know many in our congregation who are sick. We all have friends and family members, coworkers, classmates, people who need your healing touch. And you're the God who has the power to heal. You're the God who has the power to save. So God, I pray that by your spirit, you would guide our time of prayer now that is Dan invites us to come forward, Lord, that we might come to you with our open hearts and open prayer requests and, and say the name and just say the, whatever that need is. And Lord, by your spirit, you would answer our prayers according to your will, knowing that your will is good. It's the best thing we could ask for, for you are a good God. And you've shown us how good you are that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son Jesus to this earth to do for us what we could do not do for ourselves, to live in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father and then to die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and then to rise again on the third day, conquering both sin and death on our behalf so that we might have the assurance of eternal life, so that we might have the gift of a new life if we will simply believe in you. Oh God, we come to you in faith, asking for your healing touch. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.